verse 17. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Moving on to Joshua 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. 
You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. And then Joshua moving in that same chapter, chapter 8 to verse 28. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites... Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Amen. So actually we got off with quite a short reading in the light of that last verse. I want to begin by setting the scene. We started with a couple of verses um, from chapter 6 because I wasn't happy to have just two chapters to speak from. I thought I needed an extra one just to be the icing on the cake. And the reason I did that is because there was a warning given. And the whole of the story in 7 and 8 actually hinges on that warning and the disobedience that followed. And you could be forgiven for thinking, when you read the story of the fall of Jericho... You could be forgiven for thinking, right now we're off, we're into the land now, nothing can stop us, we're we're going. And thinking that it is now going to be clear, smooth sailing all the way, and yet immediately after that success, we have the sin of Achan. Now to get a handle on this, I want to whisk you through a big picture look. Here's my outline. You'll find in other books, other outlines, this is mine. And uh, and it's for my purposes, okay? So chapter 7, verse 1, we have the sin committed. The, The act is done. The things are stolen, taken back to his tent. From verses 2 to 5, 
we have the effects of that sin. The battle does not go according to plan because of that sin. And then from 6 to 15, we have God's judgment on that sin. From verses 16 to 26, which we have not read any of tonight, which is the, the punishment of Achan and the sorting out, the, the bringing of the people out in ever-decreasing groups until the family is located and the perpetrator admits his sin, we have the consequences. Now, for us, we quite often think of consequences as the effects of sin. But those two things are different, and they're different in this story, and they're usually different in our lives. The effects of sin is what the thing that you have said, thought, done, what it does to you and to those about you. And it always has an effect. The consequences of sin are something different. You see, God often limits the effects of sin in his grace. But the consequences for sin remain the same. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine that you are a bank robber and you've gone to prison and you've got 14 years of bank robbery. And you become a Christian, year three. That doesn't mean that your sentence is going to be automatically reduced now. The consequences to your actions are your punishment. The effects of your actions, well, that was the the theft and the damage that that did to those that were involved in the robbery themselves and those whose goods you stole. And there's a slight difference between those, and we don't always pick that up. So verses 16 to 26 are about the consequences. Verses 8, 1 and 2 are about a second attack a new set of orders. In verses 3 to 29 of chapter 8, we have the effects of the sin that happened reversed. They went up against I and they lost. That was the effect of the sin. Now they go up against I and it's a doddle. The effects have been reversed. And then in verses 30 to 35, we have that renewing of the covenant. Now, it's fairly straightforward. But if that's the big picture, what is it that God wants us to learn from this story? How does this apply into your life and mine? You see, there are two battles going on here. And I don't mean attack one and attack two on I. There is the battle for I... But there's another battle going on, and that is the battle for the hearts and the minds of his people. Note that the warning that comes came on the back. Jericho was a special case. If you read the other cities, in all the other cities, they're allowed to keep the stuff. But in Jericho, they're told, they're given very specific instructions. It was a one-off, and they didn't obey them. When we come to that second attack at I, the instructions are different. You can carry off everything you can get your hands on. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, this is all 
this is all back there in the Old Testament and things are slightly different now. But actually, if you read the story in Acts 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, there is a great deal of interplay going on here, isn't there? It's the same thing. Secret sin. Secret sin gets exposed. Secret sin gets judged. And that's the lesson I think we're meant to hear. There is something in here about obedience and disobedience. God's people could not accomplish God's purposes whilst they were disobedient. They couldn't win the battle against I because of the disobedience, the sin that was in their midst. But then once that was dealt with, they were back at that place where God's purposes could be accomplished. Now think about how that works. Job 42 verse 2 says, the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. So you have this idea going on in this story that God has said that they will take I. That's his promise. That's there in the background. But their disobedience prevents God's promise from being fulfilled. But the moment that they become obedient, God's promise is then fulfilled. What does that mean for you and me? Well, maybe, just maybe, there are times in our walk with the Lord where God's purposes are not being fulfilled in our life. We're not, we're not experiencing the joy of our salvation that David asks to be restored in that psalm that we read at the beginning. Restore to me, having accepted my confession, having forgiven me my sins, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe the battle that we face is sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbours. But because of something secret and hidden in our lives, that witness has been undermined. You'll notice that Achan's sin wasn't a visible undermining. It didn't show. But it affected their ability. Sarah and I are going for a bit of a walk. 486 miles and a little bit more because she wants to dip her toes in the sea. So we're off to do this walk. Now there are things that could, could stop us. Things like blisters and, and injuries and stuff like that. And, and you see, a, an injury to your leg when you're a walker shows because you start limping. Blisters, you're hobbling a bit. But we're taking some water purifying tablets with us because an injury that's in your tummy can put the mockers on a walk. It's really difficult to do 486 miles when you can't go more than six yards away from the local loo. Joking aside, things that are invisible and hidden can have an outward effect on us and still not be seen by anybody else. There are two battles going on here. One is for the hearts and the minds of God's people. And until that battle is won, the external battle against I cannot be won. 
We serve a holy God, and we're less than holy individuals. It's really easy for me to stand here and make you feel guilty, and that is not the point, really not the point. But as we go through this story, there are some really clear warnings to us. You see, in the attack on Jericho, we have Rahab, a foreign prostitute who gets included into the people of God because of her faith. And here in this story, we have Achan, one of God's chosen people, who is effectively removed from the people of God due to his disobedience, his lack of faith. And I think that that must serve for us as a warning. It's an interesting little footnote. There are two cairns raised at I. One is raised over the body of a disobedient man. And one is raised over the body of a defeated king. And there is respect shown there. Because the law of Moses commanded that when a body was dead, it needed to be put away before sunset. So when we read that Joshua took the king's body down and got it buried, that was showing respect to the enemy, even in defeat. And that same respect was shown to Achan, who had sinned. What does that say to us about God's grace and God's ability to reverse the effects of sin? So what do we learn out of this? It's not an easy passage to preach. It's really quite gloomy, isn't it? I mean, I was joking with David beforehand. I said, well, basically, we we should all be home by about quarter past seven. It's going to be 25 past. It's all right. You can relax. But, But seriously, sin's bad. It spreads. It isn't just Achan that's affected, and it isn't just Achan who pays the price. And isn't that true of all sin? If only our bad actions only had the effect on us. But they don't, do they? They ripple out. The battle that was going on was the battle for the hearts and the minds of God's people. He needed them to be wholehearted and obedient to him. Sin is serious and it prevents us, dot, dot, dot. What does it prevent us from? Well, you can put, you know yourselves. You know the places where there are things in your life that actually... You need to do a bit of pruning. And radical treatment is required. You might not need to be taken out and stoned, but you might need to have something surgically removed. Sin doesn't have the last word. It didn't in this story, and it doesn't over us. The last word over us is always grace. It's always God's favour. It's always God's forgiveness. 
And one of the most difficult conversations that you have when you first become a Christian and the rest of your family aren't is uh, because we all learn this stuff really quickly, don't we? We know how wide God's grace is when we're first a Christian because we know what a scabby, warty individual we were and he took us in. So we think, well, yeah, if Hitler repents, Hitler's in. You know, all these people... But you can take people, we put labels on folk, don't we? Pedophile, murderer. You put those, that, that label on anybody and you can say, but God's grace can reach them too. And you have that awkward conversation, don't you, with your family who say you're just nuts. So what you're saying is, Mrs. Jones down the road who looks after her dear old dad but doesn't believe in Jesus, well, she's not going to be included in God's people. And Hitler... He is, if he repents. That's not fair. No, it's not. Grace isn't fair. But sin does not have the last word. Not over anybody. Not over anybody. And obedient people will be able to go forward and God's purposes will be able to be achieved because of God's power, God's grace, God's mercy and God's plan. And the moment I begin to think that it actually comes back down to me, I'm on dodgy ground again. There's a whole lot of people that if it was my choice wouldn't get into the kingdom. Thank God it's not our choice, eh? Thank God it's not our choice. Sin must not have the last word. I like the fact that at the end of the story, to make sure they've understood that it's all all alright now, they go through the whole giving of the law again. Joshua writes it on stone again. It's like they've gone right back to the mountain with Moses and it's all done again. And this time there's no golden calf that's God's grace we often repeat the psalmist don't we we say his mercies are new every morning if we could live by that one line every day wouldn't we be transformed and I know that God's mercies are new every morning for you and you all know That about everybody else, including me. The hardest person for us to apply those words to are ourselves. And the reason is, I can't remember all of your sins. You can't remember all of each other's. But you remember yours. And that's the danger. That's why we need the renewal of the covenant. That's why... We need the fresh start. And that's why sin doesn't have the last word. We will be informed by our pasts. But we will not be controlled by them. Our future isn't built on our past. It's built on his past. And his present. And his future which is a very different word over us. I said earlier that there are people we put labels on who we decide won't get into the kingdom. 
It doesn't matter what label you had on you. It doesn't even matter if you've written a new one and stuck it on yourself. Because the label on you that matters is this is my dearly beloved child. In him or her, I am well pleased. Now you will know. I put my order of service away. You will know how you need to respond to what I've said tonight. But do not go out of this place burdened with guilt, because that really is not the aim. And if that's what you do, you haven't heard what I've said. I'm going to pray a very short prayer, and then we're going to sing, Ye servants of God. No, we're not. We're going to sing, Who can ever say they understand? No, we're not. I'm confused. I've missed something out, haven't I? Not for the first time. I thought, I thought it was early. <laughs> I'm going to pray because you now have an example of what grace looks like. You have to forgive me. Music group have got to forgive me. Um, I think we'll, we'll miss out the who can ever say they... Because that's lost its point now. And we'll go to ye servants of God, your master proclaim. But let's pray first. Father God, you know us, each one. And you know for each one what we need to hold on to from the words of the preacher. And I pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit now, seal that which we need in our hearts. And Father, you know which of the words of the preacher have been surplus to requirements. And we pray that you will let those fall and do no harm. But Father, as we've heard, and as we respond, we want to move from the position of Achan to the position of Rahab. We want to sing this next song as your servants, renewed, restored, forgiven and cleansed.